We want to welcome everybody again to yet another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to glean wisdom from men with ministry experience for men who are young and aspiring pastors. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reform Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reform Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the promised land of the north. And we are yet again without a guest today. So what Joe and I are going to be doing is we've kind of outlined um, what we want to talk about if we're in between guests. And so what we're going to start, and this may be sporadic, is kind of like a series on um, the marks of the church. Now, this may end up being kind of a two-parter. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, in case anybody's sick and tired of hearing Joe and I bloviate and pontificate by ourselves, we do have two guests lined up for next week. So Lord willing, we'll have uh, Colin Samuel and Steve Bradley um, on. And then we've got a few other guys who have at least given us kind of a verbal um, interest in being on the podcast. So Lord willing, come January or whenever we end up posting this podcast, um, we'll start to get on a more uh, consistent track. Uh, with uh, what we're desiring to do, which is to interview uh, each and every RP pastor in this denomination. So with that said, Joseph, would you mind uh, kind of explaining uh, briefly, if you can, uh, what the marks of the church are, or what the means of grace are, rather, I should say. So the means of grace or yeah. the marks, which one you want? Why don't you do both, hotshot? Okay. Well, the, mar- the marks of the church, typically we appeal to three marks, so the attributes of the church we could talk about first. So the the characteristics of the church are that it is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And then we talk about three marks of the church, which would be three things which distinguish uh, a true church from not a true church. And that would be uh, the true preaching of the gospel, so true and pure doctrine. It would be the pure administration of the sacraments, and we do acknowledge that there are degrees of purity, so though we as Presbyterians believe in baptizing infants, we don't therefore kick the Baptists out. Uh, There are degrees of purity, but nevertheless, the pure administration of the sacraments and then the faithful practice of church discipline. Those would be the three marks. Uh, the means of grace um, <coughs> are are best summarized in Acts 2.42. Uh, it'd be the, the, the doctrine, right? So we could just think the reading and the preaching of God's word. It would be um, the prayers or praying. Uh, it would be um, the the sacraments, so the breaking of bread there, but but we take that as signifying the Lord's Supper, and so by implication, baptism, both sacraments, and then also the fellowship of of the saints, and I would say included in that is uh, would be the the tithes and offerings, um, and then also we could you know under under prayers or teaching you could slide in. Uh, the singing of God's word as well. It's not an exhaustive list, but just broad categories that apply there. So the means of grace are essentially those those elements that are in a normal reformed worship service. So you just think about those things, especially if you're in the RPCNA, those things that uh, you do during public worship, uh, more likely than not, those are what we mean by the means of grace. Those Those means, those ways by which God communicates his grace to his people, whether that be uh, converting or sanctifying. Mm-hmm. Well, because this is the uh, blue banter, we're going to be kind of focusing on um, what our constitution says in our book of church worship. Um, so if you wanted to, you could pull out your constitution and go to page F7 and follow along with us. I know everybody carries around their constitution with them. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's uh you know, they actually should make kind of like a pocket one. Like, you know, we have pocket salters from Crown and Covenant. I want a little pocket constitution, like sincerely, that I can just keep with me. So Crown and Covenant, if you're listening, let's get on that. So with that said, Joseph, why is preaching a mark of the church or a a means of grace? Real quick, we'll see how much influence Aaron Murray and the Blue Banter has by if there's a pocketed. I actually, I might might call them (laughs) as I'm thinking about that now, because I sincerely would definitely use that. I mean, especially when you're like 
going to presbytery or something it's just nice to because this this binder the three ring binder i really like but i don't know it's just nice to have a smaller copy anyways whatever we're talking about preaching here not uh our lack of influence so what did you ask me to do again <laughs> um why is preaching a means of grace or how is preaching a means of grace okay um so preaching uh we would believe that preaching uh, based on our blue book here and our basic theology that it is not only a means of grace um, and and one of the marks of the church, but uh, there is a preeminency to it as a means of grace. Mm -hmm. uh, we say the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, is central to the work of the ministry. And so really what we see there <coughs> is, is that God's word and the reading of it, but especially as we confess the preaching of it, uh, is that ordinance which God has given uh, both for converting and conforming. So it's a it's a converting ordinance in the sense that it it is uh, we we what do we say? We say uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. People are not uh, converted through. An administration of the Lord's Supper apart from the preaching of the Word. Uh, the the sacraments are confirming ordinances, not uh, converting ordinances. And so, uh, it's a means of grace, and that it is um, the what the world sees as folly. The the explication and application of God's Word uh, is the means that He ordinarily uses. He's not bound. Uh, according to John 3, the Spirit blows how he will, but he is ordinarily pleased to convert and to edify through the proclamation uh, of his word. And so it has a preeminency, and we see, again, that preeminency in the fact that uh, Matthew 28, we're called to go and teach and baptize, but then in Mark 16, it's just preaching that's mentioned, to go, go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to all the creatures. And then in the pastoral epistles, uh, there's just this preeminent focus on preaching. You don't see anything about uh, the the sacraments or or too many of the other means of grace. Not that they're, uh, every, every other means of grace is totally absent. Prayers mentioned, certainly. But you have this, this focus on preaching in, in the conduct of the house of God and, and the man of God in particular. And then again, we see Romans 10, 14, and 15, uh, that hearing comes, or faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, and that it's through the preaching of the word uh, that Christ himself actually speaks to his people and, and converts uh, his sheep and builds them up in the faith. So that's what we mean by saying it is, it's a means of grace, and even more so what we mean when we say it's it's the primary or preeminent means of grace. Yeah, I, I like how uh, Burkhoff talks about kind of the differences between uh, the word and sacrament in that the, the word, obviously all of this has to be done uh, inwardly through the spirit as it, you know, these things become means of grace through the work of the spirit, but it is the word that the spirit uses to bring about faith and to strengthen faith, whereas the sacraments are only used then to strengthen faith. Um, so I think it's a helpful way of kind of looking at the the primary means of grace being uh, the word preached and read and, and heard. Um, so you, you've pretty much hit that pretty well. I actually think we're, we are going to be able to make this in an hour. I know you're concerned about maybe splitting this up, but I don't really have anything uh, of substance to add uh, that hasn't already been said. And so as we consider preaching and um, kind of the types of preaching, I, I suppose we could spend a decent chunk of time on this. But generally, when we think of preaching, we think of preaching either um, expository or topical. And there's various ways of understanding what we mean by a topical um, sermon. And so why don't you take, um, well, I'll just throw both of those at you, and then we can kind of pop more back and forth, maybe on pros and cons of uh, each method of preaching. Sure. So first, I think it's helpful to, in, in paragraph 22 there on page F7, to we we define preaching in the sermon in accord with uh, the tra traditional Reformed understanding of preaching in a sermon, which is both exposition 
and application of Scripture. So it's not merely exposition of Scripture, nor is it merely application of Scripture. Uh, and and it, it could be helpful, too, to understand uh, that by exposition, uh, we just kind of mean an explanation of something. Uh, so in a verbal form, it, it, uh, a sermon explains. It is to explain and then by application, uh, we mean an action of putting something to use. So uh, to apply is to make use of the exposition or the doctrine. And there are various ways that one can make use of that teaching, which they drew out in their exposition. And so then, as you already noted, our uh, Directory of Public Worship here kind of distinguishes between two main kinds or categories of sermons or preaching. You have uh, the expository, which by that they preeminently mean uh, exposition through a book. You know, you start in verse one of a book and you preach through the last verse. And whether you do that each verse at a time or sections, I mean, is going to be dependent on the book and the genre and your own giftedness, et cetera, et cetera, and preference, so on and so forth. Um and that's kind of uh, contrasted, not in some sort of antithetical way as if one is good or bad, but just in, in terms of kind with uh, a topical uh, sermon. And so in a sense, what we mean by that, if you if you look at the uh, Directory of Public Worship by continuous exposition, we're kind of meaning the exposition and application of a text in a book in the order it comes, and then following that up with an exposition and application of the next text or section or whatever. And by topical, we mean an exposition and application of a topic. And so that's kind of just that's just what we mean by that. Do you want to start us on? I've got pros and cons, but do you want to start us on what you got on some of the pros and cons for each one of those? Yeah, maybe we'll just popcorn back and <laughs> forth. I think uh, I'll start with one of the pros for kind of the, the topical um, exposition, and I can't remember who uh, it was. It was one of our guests that we had on here, but he was talking about how his congregation was going through like a, a particular. Um, season of life with different things going on with marriages and stuff. And so <clears throat> what he decided to do was just do more topical type preaching on marriage and family. I think and that so, was Ramesh. But... Yeah. Um, so his, I, I thought that was really helpful because it shows that there is um, an exegesis of the congregation and seeing what they need Um to be able to then preach to them from the word of God, what they need to hear from God. So if done well, I think topical preaching um, can be, can serve your congregation um, in, in quite a helpful way. I've never really done that, but I certainly see the benefits uh, of doing that if it's done well. Sure. Yeah. Some of the other, uh, I mean, that's basically kind of what I had for pros of topical preaching uh, kind of building off what you said. I said it can offer a heightened relevancy and impact if if you're in a certain season of life in the congregation it can really hit home in a in a unique way as there's this in-depth focus on something and and one thing i noted as a pro of it topical preaching uh, forces one to be a better systematic theologian assuming you're doing it faithfully so it forces uh, systematic theology if you're not someone that may already be naturally bent towards that in your exposition, your continuous exposition of books. And so it, it can teach the congregation how to do systematic theology uh, as well. Well, and not only systematics, but also biblical theology as well. Um, sure. I, you kind of have to have uh, both hand in hand here, um, which I know you don't disagree with at all. Um, one of the the cons I think with with topical, and I don't think it's it's necessarily how our uh, book of church worship is articulating it here, but oftentimes if if we're primarily doing topical preaching, we tend to preach on our own particular interests. Um, or you know, I was uh, talking to another pastor friend of mine, and he he made the observation that generally the guys that you tend to see fall off the bandwagon. Um, tend to be guys who almost exclusively preach topically and not um, expositionally as we understand it. And so there's there's a certain danger of um, 
I don't know, fleecing the sheep or, or, or falling into error, certainly not getting the whole counsel of God. So I think topical preaching is, um, it can be a good thing, but overall, I'm more of a Lectio Continuo kind of fella. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we get to the um, kind of book book by book, verse by verse, or section by section, whatever, uh, pros and cons of expository, essentially the cons I'm about to mention for topical, uh, the flip side of those I'll mention as pros mm-hmm. for um, expository. And did so when, when I was preaching on Titus 1-3 and how God manifests his eternal promises in time through preaching. We focused on uh, what preaching is and uh, the primacy of it, things we're talking about even now. And in some of the application there, I went into some of the pros of of expositional preaching through books and and gathered these from other guys these thoughts aren't unique to me but they're they're neither are they unique to any one guy almost everybody kind of mentions these and i condensed them down into five but some cons of an overemphasis as you were getting at an overemphasis or even worse exclusive focus on topical preaching would be that it's it's much more vulnerable to miss the intent of the divine author um, you're mu- you much e- more easily can stumble into using things for your own purposes. You already mentioned one again. It's it's not none of these are necessary. Uh, again, as as you've already pointed out, but much more easy for a pastor to ride his own hobby horses uh, and and even avoid difficult passages and doctrines. Um, if you're not committed to just preaching normally as an ordinary steady diet for the congregation, preaching through uh, books of the Bible in order. Also, it it though it that it though it can, if done really well, teach the congregation a, a, how to do systematic theology. It typically, especially if not done really well, uh can fail to really train and encourage both the pastor and the congregation to become better basic students of the Bible, because you're not unpacking uh, how to understand any given passage. And so, uh, again, I'll I'll come back to this, the positive side of it, when we get to uh, the other method. Also, it can hamper and hinder a boldness and confidence in both preacher and listener, again, because you may not have as much confidence that you're putting all these dots together uh, in the right way, or or you could be missing something versus, you know, if you're just working your way through a passage and unpacking that passage, it's likely to give even more confidence for both the preacher and the listener that what you are preaching and what they are hearing is what, in fact, God is saying right here in this passage. Um lesson of illusion of, oh, he's dancing around and I lost track with him mm-hmm. 10 minutes ago and have no clue what he's getting at now. Um, and then, and then lastly as well, it can, it can lead to a brevity of ministry in the sense that, man, if you're only preaching topics, you may run out of topics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in not too many years. And then, yeah, you may need to move on somewhere else and you just start preaching on your topics again. Versus, you know, if you're just committed to working your way through the Bible, man, even if you're a, a, somebody who likes preaching at a, at a relatively quick pace and, and you get through the Bible pretty quickly and let's say half your ministry, you know, if you have a 30-year ministry and you preach the whole Bible in 15 years, well, guess what? It's going to be good for the people and there are new members and children who have grown. It's going to be good to just do it again. And and then you're 15 years again, you know, or if you're somebody. Do you think someone could preach through the Bible in 15 years? Yeah, David Hansen and I did the math one time. If you, I think like 12 years, if you preached morning and evening and took one chapter per sermon, something around 12-ish years. Maybe my math's wrong because we're we're reading progressively through the scriptures and worship, and I was calculating it was going to take us like 20 years or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so maybe, we could have been off too. I think there's 1,189 yeah, uh, chapters well, in the Bible. And so if you divide that by two. Oh, so you're preaching two sermons or that's two what chapters? I said, two, two, okay, no, no, no right. not two chapters, two sermons. Yeah, two sermons. Ah, so Monday. Okay. Gotcha. 
So you, so you would be preaching two chapters per Lord's Day, so 104 chapters per year. Okay, I see what you're and, saying. And yeah, yeah, that's obviously going to come just on basic math. hundred, You know, even if you take vacation, let's just call it basically 100 sermons per year, 100 chapters. If there's close to 1,200 chapters, that's roughly 12 years. Right, so I'm looking at it from like a preaching one sermon a week, not two. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, you think so, you're going to hit that? <laughs> no, I'm not even trying. <laughs> not even a goal or desire of mine whatsoever. Uh, uh, Remember John MacArthur said one time, I think he was right, like everybody knows how slow that dude preaches and takes mm -hmm. like even a decade at times to get through a gospel or something. And he's come back and said that he still thinks he went too fast. Well, I know okay. not everybody I, agrees I, with that, but guess what? <laughs> that's that's my cut, and that's my cup of tea. So that's how mm -hmm. I'm rolling. That's what I love is digging in. You don't got to get so defensive. I'm not coming at you. I just do you. Uh, I, I can I can hear when you're ready, <laughs> Mr. Murray. No, do you do much topical preaching? So that's what I was going to say. No, I don't. Here's what I was going to say. I think. I preached a sermon on infant baptism mm -hmm. when we had a baptism, and I recently preached a two-part topical series on uh, my view of the text and the mm -hmm. received text. But one thing I have done, and, and what I was going to say, one of the biz, one of the benefits, sorry, of of preaching through books, and I've talked to someone else about this, is you can still do topical excursus preaching. So, like, I paused on Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 and did a four-part series on forgiveness. And so in that sense, it was topical and yet it was still preaching through a book. And so I think you can hit topical preaching through expositional preaching um, either just in a given text, that's what you decide to emphasize because you think that's what the congregation needs, or you do like little excursus series based on a text that you just came to. Uh, in it, uh, like I said, the only problem with that is is it, um, it could fail in the relevancy category. Like, okay, you know, yeah, that'd be nice if I could get to marriage, but I'm in Ephesians one one, and we're not going to get there until Ephesians five, and my congregation needs it now. You know, um, mm -hmm. but but if it's just you know, there's 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 not any big fires that you're feeling like you're needing to put out, or you see something coming relatively quickly, and you know you're going to get there at a decent pace, you could just pause in a series and focus in for however many weeks you wanted on on that topic as it comes up in whatever particular book. Yeah, I think the only time I've done topical preaching is when it just popped up while I'm preaching through, I think, really the book of Philippians. Like I, I did one sermon on uh, was it Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling and disputing. So it was on that. And then Philippians 4, we did a sermon on relational reconciliation with the Odeon Syntyches. But that was progressively working through the text. It's not like I intentionally was like, all right, I need to do a topical sermon on these two topics. They just kind of popped up. Yeah. 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 So, I, so what do you did get, I cut off you your get, flow? You did. Okay. You, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't. I <laughs> know uh, that I was I was pretty much done. I was gonna see what what did you have as far as pros and cons of you know kind of this uh, exposition through books of the Bible. Well, as, nothing as, nothing that you haven't said already. The only thing that I would say so with topical, um, like we've already talked about, you can get on your soapbox, your own hobby horse, and then things like that. But even, you know, as we're, and this is something I'm wrestling with right now, is as, as we're wanting to do books of the Bible, I lean more towards narratives. I love preaching through narratives. I think narratives are the stage in which theology plays itself out, and I just really enjoy them. So we still got plenty of time in Acts, but I'm thinking, what do I want to do after Acts? Like, well, maybe I'll do, you know, a minor prophet. And my immediate thought was, I'll do the book of Jonah. <laughs> it's like, okay, that is a minor prophet, but it's also a narrative, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to. So, so anyways, the, the, the point is um, we do need to preach the whole counsel of God. And even with uh, going through books of the Bible, Lectio Continuo and stuff, we can still kind of try and play to our strengths, which I think is good, but um, we don't grow as preachers if we don't stretch ourselves and our people certainly won't grow if uh, they're not getting the whole counsel of God and, and all the different genres that the Lord has revealed himself in. So that, that's the only thing that I would add to what you've already said. Yeah, no, I'll just kind of state what I said positively, but, but no, um, you're, you're right there that 
no no method is going to prevent a determined man from getting on his hobby horses or mm-hmm. whatever right i uh, forget which book i read it in but you know a, a determined pastor is going to find some way if he wants to bring <laughs> some passage back around you know to consider a few words on the millennium or mm-hmm. yeah you know the yep. nephilim or whatever you know uh if if he's determined to do it or like you said you can you know, depending on the pace, you can preach around your weaknesses uh, by choosing the book or whatever, which is why it would be helpful to to uh, have have the session in on that discussion, Absolutely. at least. Yep. Um, I mean, they should certainly, uh, you know, hear out what you want to say with perhaps a preeminent importance because you are the one called there for that specific duty. But but the, as long as they're involved, I think that is the beauty of Presbyterianism is there's going to be a block there. If you know if they start to notice, you know, Joe, why are you only preaching Paul? Aaron, why are you only preaching narrative? You know, they're going to be like, no, let's get us a little bit of this or that or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, yeah, just to, to positively to state positively what I said about preaching through books is, is it does lend toward tend towards. Uh, being more faithful to the intent of the divine author, especially if you're committed to just unpacking his words as he gave them, you're you're unfolding his intent, and, and it, it does provide bumpers and safeguards for that. Again, uh, it, it generally is is a better safeguard for keeping a pastor from hobby horses and difficult passages, because it's it's. Just going to be obvious to everybody, right? If if you are in a passage and you just so clearly go off the rails, if you're just unpacking a passage in context, the people are going to be very clear that you're you're abusing, you're twisting, you're not getting at the intent, you're riding a hobby horse. It's all just going to be all the more obvious, and and then you can't avoid the difficult passages, right? If you're going to preach through First Corinthians, uh, you know. That First Corinthians ten and head coverings is coming down the pipe, and mm-hmm. and you're going to have to deal with it. Um, uh, or eleven, sorry. And so, so, you know, it just is what it is, and 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 you'll deal with it, and you're forced to. So, so all good in that. Third, again, again, it best trains and encourages both the pastor and congregation to become better students of the Bible. Uh, I love one of R.L. Dabney's quotes that has been very influential to me. He says that a prime object of pastoral teaching is to teach the people how to read the Bible for themselves. He that is the minister should exhibit before them in actual use the methods by which the legitimate meaning is to be evolved. And so that's why I'm a fan of at least bringing them in the kitchen enough, right? Or at least showing them enough of the recipe or enough of what you did so that they can not only eat the meal you gave them, but now they know how to cook for themselves Monday through Saturday, right? Because you're exhibiting to them. So, you know, it's not that they can't feed themselves when you're not around because they have no clue how to make a good meal. You know, you, you start to teach them by osmosis how to explain and apply the Bible for themselves and now they can cook for themselves through the week as well. Cannot do that if you are someone who refuses to take them in the kitchen. At that point, all they know how to do is eat. They don't know how to cook and to feed themselves. Um, also, Sinclair Ferguson said, it's chiefly by the exegetical method of preaching that an individual pastor is most likely to grow as a student of Scripture, a man, a God, and a preacher. So there's that benefit as well. Again, it, it it builds boldness and trust in the preacher. You can be all the more confident that you're preaching God's Word. If you've taken the time to dig into a text and you're unfolding that to the congregation and they can see it unfolding, and so they know that this is thus says the Lord, not merely the Word of a man. And then also, again, we already talked about providing longevity, just an abundance of of content. You're never going to run out of things to say, topics to speak about if you're just working through books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. We can uh, press forward then. Our uh, Constitution (laughs) um, in paragraph 23 gives preachers kind of six different uh, criteria or things to consider um, as they go about uh, the preaching of the word. So maybe what we do here is kind of popcorn back and forth between them, uh, chat about them again. If we've got to split this up in two parts, that's uh, that's fine with me. But uh, the first one 
is that preachers must diligently uh, preach the word of God. That is, we are to not neglect uh, our calling to uh, preach. So just continuing with your uh, kitchen illustration, um, we're not supposed to be getting out frozen meals and just popping them in the microwave a couple hours before the worship service. You know, we're to be faithful. Well, the word faithful is used in one of these criteria, but we're to be diligent. Um, we're to be working hard. We're to put effort. Uh, we're to uh, bring ourselves uh, or we're to grow weary in our toil um, as we work hard. We're to be studying the word. We're to be, um, if if we can, if we have the tools, if we have the ability, working with the original languages uh, as we're able to. We're to be praying over the word. We're to be um, crafting it in such a way that uh, um, we put in the work. You know, preaching is is not it's not easy. I mean, it might be easier for some. Like I think of some guys who are like, oh, it takes me four hours. I'm like, well, I'm happy for you. <laughs> but even those guys, I still know that they work hard during those four hours in their preaching and they've just got a greater capacity. Uh, you know, they've got 10 talents. So I've got one. Um, so we, we put in the effort. Uh, we don't do this uh, lazily. We're not slothful in our callings, but uh, we put the work in uh, as we are able to. So we must be diligent in our preparation for the preaching of the word of God. Yeah, I don't really have much to add there. I mean, that's what, yeah, it takes great care. And I just say, like, practically, that 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 would be the benefit of of scheduling time. Like, it's mm -hmm. something important enough that you should could should schedule. And I'm not here to tell anybody what that should look like for them or what you need to do. But, like, I just feel like if you're not scheduling it, again, whatever that looks like, if it's just like this piecemeal thing that you do throughout the week, that clearly indicates it is a subordinate and secondary thing. If you just get to it as you can get to it, mm -hmm. like it needs to have a preeminence in your schedule. Again, whatever that looks like is what it looks like for you. And, and maybe that is just working on it here and there throughout the week. But I just think guys should be scheduling that time because there is this diligence. There is a primacy uh, to what you are doing. And, and it's, it's that one thing where, you're shepherding, counseling the entire flock at one time. Mm -hmm. And so so there is, I mean, it just part of the care and the taking care is not only the method by which you go about it, but the care to set aside the time to take care of that business and to give yourself whatever time you need. As you were saying, you may be a guy that needs to schedule 10 to 20 hours. You may be a guy uh, like the freakish Kyle Borg who needs five hours, but whatever, you know, still schedule that time because guess what? Again, we schedule the things that are important in our lives, right? We put those things on our schedule. And so I think part of the diligence is not only in the method and in the actual moment that you're doing it, but making sure you have those moments mm -hmm. set aside. For well, you. and even in, in your scheduling of it, um, you know, you and I are both big scheduler guys when it comes to our work weeks and stuff, but schedule margin for <laughs> sermon prep um when you do get interrupted because that's going to happen you know sure. um so make sure you've got some time set aside as you are able to be able to work on your sermon preparation when your normal sermon preparation gets interrupted because it does happen yeah yeah scheduling margin versus just marginalizing uh the thing and just again just just letting just allowing every kind of interruption uh you there are some things that you shouldn't allow, right? There, you know, un, um, you know, you shouldn't allow the email uh, to constantly be bothering you or or whatever. But yeah, or text absolutely. messages from Joe Smith while you're trying to do sermon preparation. You don't need exactly. to respond to those like exactly. instantly. Um, with the diligence thing, do you um, do you practice your sermon ahead of time, or, or what's what's your what's your way of kind of making sure that that you're ready to preach before even preaching? All I do is I come over to my office about... Like on, on Sunday mornings? Yeah, Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons. Um, somewhere, the morning I usually get over here about three hours, and in the afternoon sermon about two hours. And what I'll do is I read through my manuscript and then I do a second read through where I have a red pen. Things have already been highlighted because as soon as I print out my manuscript, I use three different color highlighters to highlight like main blocks. Mm -hmm. 
but then and then but those i get ready to preach it again because i don't want to read to people right i want to preach and get it in my head so it's all just a process of getting it in my head i'll read through it to refamiliarize because with the preaching two sermons and and um everything else going on in ministry and oftentimes when i'm done with the morning sermon i'm not continuing to chew on that and think about it like mm -hmm. it's boom locked done and ready and i'm not looking at it again until Sunday morning, because guess what? I got another sermon to preach, a Sunday school to prep, counseling to do, all, you know, all of these things. And so, you know, that first read over of each sermon is just kind of getting it back in my head. And then the second read, it's usually two reads. Um, I can take more time on that second read usually in the morning, but is with a red pen and I'm drawing boxes around things. I'm I'm writing things out in the margin uh, and, and just that process of the handwriting and marking. And I'll try, if I can, to preach from those marginal notes and those highlights. Uh, not that I'm always able to do that, but, you know, just summarize a block of paragraph or something, you know, out with a couple words and, and a red pen. And so I just work through it like that. But no, I don't practice anything. I I, I totally get that. I used to do that. I think it can work great. And, and, and there are certainly benefits to it. I just kind of like the thrill of, like I'm, you know, it's you're all about to hear it like I am, right? And there's just something that I like in the moment. And I know guys who preach, or I'm sorry, who practice, there's still that excitement because every run through is typically going to be a little different. So there's still certainly a spontaneity to it. But I just kind of am allowing that tension to build uh, within me, and then it all just boom, it's it's going to come out in the moment. So I don't practice, but I do go over the manuscript at least mm -hmm. twice. Yeah, I, I definitely do practice audibly on Sunday mornings. I'll, I'll come in early. Um, and in part, because sometimes the spontaneity that pops up, I'll say something like, oof, I'm glad nobody else is here for me to, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Going to make sure that I don't, I don't say that, you know, and, and, and you've witnessed some of the uh, silly spontaneity that's popped up in my preaching before. Um, I also like to do like, nocturnal sermon prep. And by that, I mean, like, can I, not verbatim quote the passage, but can I work through the passage mentally knowing, you know, what the scriptures say? Can I recall all of my, you know, points in the sermon? Uh, can I recall the homiletical point of the sermon? Can I, you know, preach the illustrations, those kinds of things, even while I'm sleeping? So I kind of like put myself to sleep with my own sermon, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, so that that is diligently preaching the word. Anything else on the diligence before we move to the next little category? Nope. All right. What's the next one, Joey? It is plain, uh, plain preaching. The preaching of the man of God is to be plain. And so uh, my understanding of this and, and what's nice about this uh, section of our directory for worship is just taken out of the original uh, Westminster Directory of Public Worship just with slightly modernized language. So mm -hmm. uh, these these statements on preaching are are essentially identical. Um, but my understanding of of what plain uh, we're, we're by that we're not meaning uh, shallow or or simplistic, uh, but but we mean it needs to be understandable to all of the hearers, right? So so that um, uh, that that all of them can understand uh, what we are saying when we are preaching to them. And so it, it does mean that we, we aren't seeking to be showy in our, our language or what we're saying. It's that we're not uh, being unnecessarily technical uh, when, when we do preach um, certain things. It says here in this paragraph, abstaining from an unprofitable use of, of unknown languages, strange phrases, phrases, cadences, so on and so forth. Uh, so, you know, not as that could be applied. It could, you know, speak to not unnecessarily getting technical with the original languages or theological phrases. Um, but if those things can be profitable, I remember reading in a book in seminary that if something was helpful to you in understanding the passage, even if that's something technical, uh, that's free game uh, 
to share it with others. You just need to make sure that you can do it in such a way that they can understand it. And if you can't phrase it as something technical in such a way that they can understand it, it's probably the case that you yourself don't understand it and probably shouldn't be using it, right? But again, the goal is that all ages and abilities may understand. And so that's something even like in my sermon on John 1, 1 we got into some technical uh, grammar, right? But what I did was I was striving to even when I would say something technical to then simplify it. And hopefully by the end of my simplifications of what I was saying, all ages and abilities could understand it. Uh, those with perhaps a greater knowledge or understanding uh, would be edified and deepened and have light bulbs go off with the deep technicalities. But as we were kind of progressing in simplification at that point, hopefully by the end of it, by the final, you know, simple sum, uh, even the child could have understood uh, what was being said, what all of the technical stuff was about what what it was in its essence. So I think mainly it's getting to being understandable and and not unnecessarily using technicalities and so on and so forth. And then lastly there, we kind of get to the fact of of not not overusing quotations uh from from men in our sermons as helpful as they may be. So I think plainness there also has an emphasis on on a uh, making your sermon mostly God's word. If you're going to be quoting something, quote God in support of what you're saying first and foremost. So I think that kind of plays into what we in the Westminster Divines were getting at when we say plain preaching. Mm -hmm. This uh, this might be more um, preferential, but I know sometimes, so I'm working on a sermon right now, and I've got quite a few lengthy quotations from scripture that I don't know if I'm going to keep in there. Um, now, obviously, this is talking about human authors, um, so this is the scriptures here, but how appropriate do you think it is to have lengthier portions of scripture that you're quoting or referencing in your sermons? So do you think, let's just summarize the passage that I want to reference, or, you know, I've got six or seven verses here that I want to read, so I'm going to read the whole thing. What would be Joe Smith's preference? So I'm a fan of cross-references, but one thing I think from Petrus Van Maastricht and Joel Beakey combined together that was helpful to me, I have typically lowered my, I have different categories of cross-references that I use, and I've typically lowered the number. Uh, Van Maastricht and Beakey both kind of have the rule of anywhere from one to three, if you're including, because if you're including the passage itself that you're preaching from, um, or if you're not, would, would change the number from one to three. But let's call it two to three. Two to three scripture references based on the law of two to three witnesses is sufficient to establish a truth. Um, so so not overburdening with the amount of cross-references. Uh, and then also, though, but if you do want to, to reference a bunch of things, like I did in one portion of the John 1-1 sermon, maybe you just cite the passage so that they can, you know, Matthew 18, 20 or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, on the 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 omnipresence of of Christ, the ascended Christ uh, as to his person. Um, so so you just cite that, you know, but you can go, you know, you they can go back and read it on their own time, but you're locking it in. So you're not quoting the passage for time reasons. Um, as far as the length of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I think it just kind of depends. I mean, if you think it'd be helpful, I think the lengthier it is. uh read it slower. Um, as I just had a, a, a dear father in the faith remind me, uh, not for any, we were just talking about it, but I liked the way he said it. I think he quoted Spurgeon that a text well read is half preached. Mm -hmm. And so yep. if it's a lengthier yep. quotation and you read it well, then it is like preaching it, right? And so, so I think with the longer the quotation, take it nice and slow. Um, I don't think you should... Um, uh, hesitate to offer some explanation even in mm -hmm. the reading of it and, and just read it well, and it will be as preaching, and it has this effect that it is still the Word of God. And so in a sense, you're half preaching what you're reading there. And so I'm not against it. I think if if you've determined that, hey, this is really helpful 
in this whole block. I mean, I've I've done lengthy quotations of men before in a sermon just because they were helpful. So I think if it's a really good thing and it's really locks in what you're trying to say, I say go for it. Uh, just, you know, think about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, what I've got in, <clears throat> at least for this coming sermon, is I've got lengthier ser- or lengthier references, but I've got highlighted kind of the particular, like the really important part that I want to be, that I want read. So that's kind of like a decision you make in the middle of the preaching moment, whether you're going to read the whole thing or not. I was just curious as to your own particular uh, thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. So we are to diligently uh, prepare sermons, plainly preach the sermons, and we are to be faithful as we do so. And you can look at this from uh, a couple different perspectives. You can certainly look at it as faithfulness to the text, which um, I think is kind of covered in what we've already talked about with the uh, exposition of the text, but faithful in the sense that that we are to honor Christ, that we are to magnify his name, we are to lift his name up uh, to his people for his glory. So we faithfully preach the text for the glory of God, not uh, not for our own glory, not to promote our own goals, um, but to uh, um, be faithful to our Lord, who we are proclaiming to our people. Um, so I think the the a paragraph here also says, uh, giving to each what is needed and having impartial respect to everyone without neglecting the most lowly or sparing the most influential in, in their sins. So we are to be faithfully proclaiming the whole counsel of God to the whole people of God, regardless of their uh, position um, socially or economically. So yeah, what, yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, I think you're right. I mean, if you if you look grammatically at, a, at the statement there in in 23C on F7, faithfully, um, it seems like the ing words after the semicolons are like participles of mean. So they're they're explaining what they meant by that, like how how you are to honor Christ and the people, right? How are you to do that? Well, you are to do it by keeping nothing back that may promote these goals of the glory of Christ and the good of the people. You're to do it by giving to each what is needed, uh, by having impartial respect to everyone and and without neglecting the most lowly or sparing the most influential in their sin. So it's a pretty self-explanatory statement of, yeah, what we mean by being faithful and then how we are to go about being faithful in our preaching both to christ and to the people all right good for us we're uh moving through it i think we can make it joseph maybe let's maybe let's do this let's get through uh the rest of these categories and then we'll call it a day sure okay all right so what's next so next would be uh wisely wisely we say wisely framing all his teaching exhortations and especially his reproofs in such a manner as may be most likely to be effective, showing all due respect to each one's person and place and not giving way to his personal animosities or prejudices. So so what wisdom there, doing something wisely, uh, typically speaks to doing something skillfully, right? That's the difference between knowledge and, and wisdom. Knowledge can be, you know, uh, true belief, justified true belief, uh, having knowledge, uh, beliefs that align with God's beliefs. But wisdom is is having skill in using uh, that knowledge that you I heard, have. Uh, I heard something kind of, it, it's silly. It's not like a uh, theology thing or anything like that. But knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in fruit salad. Philosophy <laughs> is asking if ketchup is a fruit smoothie. And common sense is knowing that it's not. I like it. So there you go. I like it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 having skill in both your content and in delivery, right? So fr- in the way that you frame all of your teaching, right? Again, you want to be wise. You want to keep uh, all ages and abilities in mind as you're framing what you're teaching. Um, you want to also, though, have skill in your delivery of it, especially, you know, your exhortations and your reproofs, which is, you know, your rebukes when you're when you're calling out sin or warning against sin, uh, for instance. Uh, so you just want to be skillful. And that requires knowing uh, your congregation. Right. Uh, you think about I'm preaching through Titus right now and uh Paul says, all Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, right? And there's kind of a 
force continuum there of moving from gentleness to sharpness as needed. But there's also just this, you know, he he's knows the kind of people uh, that he's going to preach to and that, that sharpness may be the way to go uh, with that, uh, a more piercing kind of rebuke than a, than a, than a gentler kind of rebuke. So it requires knowing your congregation. You kind of spoke about earlier exegeting, not the text and the theology, but also um, the congregation that you've been given, been given charge over. And then, and then also making sure that, that you don't uh, preach angry, you know, you don't bring personal offenses and prejudices into the pulpit and just go on blast with those things. So I think those uh, would be some of the things we mean at when it comes to preaching wisely. Mm -hmm. The next one is we are to preach uh, solemnly as appropriate to the word of God, avoiding any gestures, tone of voice and expressions that would give opportunity for people to despise him in his ministry. So there's a number of things that, that we could unpack here and we could spend a whole time talking about, um, even what you know you wear uh, <laughs> at church, and if you uh, want more of a interesting discussion on that, you can look at Three GT's recent episode on uh, what to wear in the pulpit um, or what to wear in church. Uh, period. But but the point is, um, we are to not to we are not to preach flippantly, both with um, how we present ourselves, our tone of voice, um, our hand expressions, things like that. It can be it can be very off putting. I think this this would even include illustrations and things like that. And we've heard guys say this on the podcast. You and I would both agree with this. You know, when you're giving illustrations, don't be making yourself the hero of the story. Um, That's not necessarily a solemn act. We are to make Jesus the hero of the story because he is. Um, And then with, with tone of voice, I don't know. I, uh, I'm not one who people generally think of as a solemn individual. But one of the things that uh, the feedback that I got in seminary was, um, you know, you're a goofy guy, but you don't seem very goofy in the pulpit. I was like, oh, well, praise God for that, which is not always true. You know, sometimes the the personality does come out and the Lord does use the personalities of his preachers to uh, convey his word to his people. Uh, but we are to consciously be thinking about the gestures that we make um uh, how we speak, how we phrase things. And this gets into the the wise uh, thing as well. So we can be reproving, you know, congregational sins, but we can do it solemnly in a way that is appropriate without lambasting people, but also without trying to soften uh, the blows that scripture is giving us. And so we must be solemn in our uh, delivery um, when we do preach. Yeah, I think it's right. Um, you know, it just says as appropriate to the word of God. So um, don't read the word of God just like it's any other little book. Uh, Don't preach like you would give just any other old talk on computer programming or whatever. Um, Do justice to what you're doing. Do you think, do you think, uh, so I'm going back and forth on this. Um, Do you think it falls under the category of solemn if we read the word of God from an iPad or like a cell phone. I don't know. I have to think about that. So here's, here's, I don't like it. I'll tell you that right now. You I don't, don't like, like it. <clears throat> I preach from an iPad, but I don't read the scriptures from an iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I was like, this is just the development of the written word. So is there anything inherently in solemn <laughs> about reading the scriptures from your cell phone? I don't think that there is inherently, but I think contextually, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I think the cell phone, it is it is a weird spectrum. Uh, the cell phone for me, for whatever reason, again, I think I think we're what we're touching as more just a feel of the thing. Right. Than like something inherently wrong with it, because it's just it's just a medium by which you are reading the word. Right. But yeah, so, so there is, I think it's a definitely a spectrum thing because I would have, even me, I would have more of a problem if a guy whipped out his phone than his iPad, right? Cause at least the iPad right. is like the size of a book, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, there's I mean, I nothing, I, there's nothing sinful about it. I just don't right. like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with, you No, I wouldn't like it either, but I'd be much more comfortable at least with the iPad than, than the phone that would just really 
<laughs> really throw me off in a special way. But I don't know. Way. I guess uh, maybe. Not uh, whatever. I'll just I'll just I'll just leave it alone. Um, <laughs> there's nothing sinful about it, but I, I certainly wouldn't do it. All right. What's the what's the next one? The last the last one here is is lovingly that the saints may see his ministry springing from a genuine zeal for the Lord and a deep desire to do them good. So, I mean, again, this kind of gets not only at what you say, it certainly will have an impact on that, but I think even more um, how you say something. This is where nonverbals are so key. The expression on your face, the tone of your voice, um, the the fervency and the compassion uh, or even the passion with which you may preach something, right? Um, you should be pleading with people or exhorting people in a sense how how Solomon is in Proverbs, you know, over and over, my son, my son. I mean, the people need to really be able to hear and feel your heart even when you may say uh, hard things to them because it, God is saying hard, they're hard things to us as we're studying them through the week, right? Like, uh, but they should be able to understand that you're doing so preeminently out of a zeal to be faithful to the Lord, uh, out of a love for him, a desire to glorify and serve him and be pleasing in his sight. And so uh, they, they will know that from some of the things we said earlier, your, your desire to be faithful to the text and so on and so forth, but also a deep desire uh, to do them good, that you are not uh, preaching these things to demean them, to beat them down, um, but to serve them and, and to help them more and more uh, fall in love with, with God and his word and to be more and more conformed uh, to the image of Christ. And so, you know, again, kind of like, you know, we all know the difference between a doctor, right? It, if you go to a doctor and it just, man, he just wants to get you in and out so he can get on to the next appointment, says what he says to you versus a doctor that you just, he comes in the room and you just get to feel like he's got nothing else on his schedule that day. And yeah, maybe your appointment still gets over in 20 minutes, but you just got the vibe that that dude was willing to sit there for three hours and he meant you good. And he was really trying to serve you and help you. And he really cared about you. So for the spiritual physician, right? Uh, so just be clear that this is just not some job we do, just some thing. We can't ready to get this day over with and get back to our life Monday through Saturday. Or again, you know, we're not just trying to beat people down, tell them how bad they, they suck at life and need to stop eating Twinkies because that's what lazy people do who don't care about themselves, so on and so forth. So I think that's what it's getting at there when it speaks about lovingly. I got to come at Twinkies like that, man. I was just thinking of a doctor and that's just the first thing come to mind. You know, he may tell you, hey, you need to clean up your eating, but it's clear that he doesn't care about you. Like he's just looking down on you because he's so fit and he's got his life in shape and and you just suck because you can't get yourself under control. Um, it, it's just going to be clear to people uh, if if that's how you're coming across. Mm -hmm. Even again, when you're saying tough things, right? Because telling somebody they need to clean up their eating. Right. That's a tough thing. That's going to take discipline and a lot of work and life change. Uh, and so even more so with spiritual things. Yeah, I think it's uh, this is a tangent. Um, I think it's easier to talk about the sin of homosexuality than it is to talk about <laughs> the sin of gluttony. Oh, yeah, that that one's hard. But anyways, yeah, if you're from uh, Westminster there, uh, do me a favor and everybody buy Joe a box of Twinkies, please. I'd, I'd love to see that. Um, all right. So I said there's six. There's actually seven. And the last one is uh, a preacher is to preach as one who is taught by God himself. And so this is something you've already hit on it. Um, but as we are studying the word of God, as we are growing in our knowledge of the word of God and the application of the word of God, we are to then bring what the Lord is teaching us uh, to the congregation as well. And uh, the last little paragraph here talks about um, setting an example. So none of this uh, hypocritical hogwash and poppycock of uh, 
do what I say, not as I do, but we are to be as preachers, as pastors, as elders, modeling um, what the Word of God is saying and applying the Word of God in our own lives, both in private and in public. And this is what Paul tells Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep close watching yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we must be those who exposit the Word of God and who model the Word of God um, in our preaching and in our life. Any closing remarks before we land this puppy? Lander. All righty. This has been another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast. You can uh, rate and review this on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast catcher you use. Uh, you can share this episode on social media. Uh, if you have a question you'd like us to ask the pastors that we have on this podcast, or you'd like us or like to recommend that we have your pastor on the podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And then one thing I think I would uh, appreciate is if uh, these episodes where Joe and I kind of bloviate, um, we kind of skip those, then just let us know. And uh, Joe and I will be happy to kind of put these on hold and only record when we uh, have actual, or not actual, we are actual, but uh, record when we are uh, interviewing other other pastors because we do want to serve this denomination um, and those outside of the denomination who listen to this in the best way that we can. So until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.